Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show with Bill Arnold. I'm the Bill Arnold part of that short sentence. And we are continuing Guide Talk, which means it's question and answers. Uh, you ask the question, we'll do our very best to answer your questions. And great questions have come in today. Um, Bill, um, uh, I will be the host. And then uh, my power panel, of course, is Tom and Jeff. So the three of us will do our very best. I'll try to stay out of the way. Mm-mm. Having said that, here is a question that came in already. Is there a situation where you've seen, experienced, noticed, or heard complaints of more frequent spiritual warfare or attack? For example, if you're preparing a sermon or going to a church meeting or an appointment or praying or going to or going to guide talk versus taking a nap, riding a bike, going for a walk, watching a sunset. In other words, do you perceive a correlation between a godly activity and some increased level of hassle or disruption? Yes. <laughs> Me too. Definitely yes. Um, Speak to it. Well, ask my wife because she actually notices it more than more than I have, but I've, I've now come to recognize it more and more. But she will tell you, when I am starting a new class, uh, first week, there's always something going on. Sometimes it has to do with my physical health or something. And she is the one who's pointed out. It's like, you know, every time you have a class starting, such and such is happening. And, and it, that it's got to be spiritual. And, uh, and I see a, a definite correlation, Tom. I do too. Uh, my wife will often point out to me, honey, calm down. You know, you've done this a thousand times before. It's only Sunday morning. You know, we'll be on our way to church and she could see how Worked up, I'm getting, but it's usually because I'm I'm struggling with what I'm going to say and struggling with things going on at church, and the devil loves that. He just loves that. What I should be doing all the way to church is giving praise and thanks to Jesus, mm-hmm. and we just don't do enough of that. But we need to. You know, there's a. I think we're all we're pretty good at when big things are happening in our lives to turning them over to God and praying to Him. It's the little things often that we kind of forget. And one of the things that I try to do is is even give over the little things, right? Traffic things. Uh, I lost my thing. Have you? Ever, can I tell a quick story? Sure. I was a, a friend of mine. I met with him. He gave me this book, big book, and it, it had been like three months, and he wanted it back. <laughs> and we were about to have lunch, and I didn't know where it was. I couldn't find it. I'd looked everywhere. It's like three days before this lunch. And I look in my office and I look in and it my was a big book. It was a big book. It was <laughs> okay. like on Egyptian history, right? I, I mean, it's just a big book wasn't on a, the Exodus. Wasn't and, propping a window open in your basement. No. Okay. <laughs> and, and, uh, yeah, holding up a whatever. <laughs> and I looked in my car and I looked in my briefcase and I had looked for three days. You know what I didn't do? Huh. I didn't pray. Yeah. Okay. And I'm standing in my family room and I'm about to leave for this lunch. And I close my eyes standing there and I say, Lord, I need this book. Could you just help me find this book? And I open my eyes and I look at the <laughs> lower shelf of this table and there it is. Oh boy. Wow. Right. <laughs> and, I, and I grab the book and I have this 
half smile on my face and half kind of disgust at myself. Like, why didn't I pray to God three days ago? Mm -hmm. I asked the Lord to help me find my car keys, and I heard an audible voice say, again? (laughs) (laughs) I agree with you guys. It's easy to get caught up in what's going on around you, and the devil loves that, rather than focusing on the Lord. And so... um, Here's the here's the advantage I have, and you might want to talk to your wife about this or your you know whoever. But when I go to bed at night, Jan doesn't let me go to sleep until she says, "All right, tell me five things you're thankful to Jesus for." Mm. And and you know, so I've got to go through that process. And now we're doing it to each other, but we've been doing that for quite a while now. The advantage is it knocks me off of my normal pattern, which is just to go there. I'm tired. I've got a lot to do. And it forces me to focus on the Lord. And the more you do that, the better off you're going to be. I love it. All right. A few weeks ago, Bill had an author on the program who said he wouldn't attend a gay wedding. The issue has been discussed on the program in the past. And I recall responses that attending a gay wedding may present itself as an opportunity to spread the word of Christ. Is this more of an individual issue then, or is there a defining right or wrong here? Thank you. Well, you know, our Lord Jesus showed up at tax collectors' houses, and he went and he mingled with the the prostitutes and the people and had dinner. I'm not going to a gay wedding to justify a gay wedding or any of those kind of things. Now, I most people I recommend stay home because they're not in the emotional you know, well to be able to do anything. But occasionally I run into some pretty strong people that are pretty strong in the Lord. And and I tell them, you have to ask the Lord Jesus if he wants you there to be his witness, because it's not there so you can affirm the wedding. No, 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 no. But during that fellowship time or afterward, there are going to be people that may ask you questions. Who are they going to talk to that's going to say anything but the standard line at a wedding like that? Mm-hmm. And I've had uh, friends who do that and go, and they tell me some pretty interesting stories on how they have conversations they never thought they'd have in the first place. I think there's, as individual Christians, how they live out this idea that we are to love the person with the love of Christ, uh, but hate the sin, and how that works out in every Christian's life and what they should or shouldn't do, I think it is an individual thing. I think Tom has a very strong point that says, hey, if you're not going to go there, you're not going to have any opportunity to be the light of Christ in that situation. Hmm. At the same time, I remember a story by Larry over here where she said, well, I, I can't go to the wedding, but you know what I can do? I can buy them a gift, and I can write them a note, and I can tell them I love you. Uh, I can't support the wedding because my my beliefs, uh, but I do love you. I'm here for you, and I, and, I, and here's our present, and, and I, I'm asking, you know, and, and do you want to... I'm on twice today. This there is kind go. of the, wow. I'm looking right at yeah, you because you that are. was such a wonderful story. Well, uh, I remember this from about a year ago or so that you Yeah, told it. it was actually a phone call. Uh, you know, you have to trust relationship. And if the relationship is full of love, they received that love from me. And our relationship did continue past the wedding. And it was okay. Good. Are they saved yet? No. But, you know, seeds planted, right? Yeah. And the bridge is still there, right? The, the door is still, is still open. Yeah. So, Jeff, you said something about love the sinner but hate the sin mm-hmm. is that because god does god send the sin to hell or the sinner to hell well he he died for the sins of the world so for the people that god demonstrated mm-hmm. us it demonstrated for us in this that while we were yet sinners 
Christ died for us. So yeah, the 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 obviously the sinner is the one who goes to hell, right? Um, but he loves the world, but he doesn't love the sin of this world. Mm-hmm. So I, it, it's kind of a catchphrase. It's not specifically out of the Bible, but I think it it summarizes uh, how God sees the world. That He loves everyone. He wishes none to perish, and and He's done everything for their salvation if they would just believe. But that doesn't mean that God ever condones uh, the sin that the world does. And he doesn't hide from it. That's part of it. I think Christianity has gotten to the point we hide, we're hiding from the world because we don't know what to say. We don't know what to do. Think of the last time in the church. That's you a go great to, point, Tom. Have, have you, when's the last time you sang Onward Christian Soldiers, hmm. marching as to war with the cross of Jesus going on before? Most Christians are in retreat. We're, we're trying to stay away from the world or trying to stay away from those things because they're so infectious. The reality is, when is the world going to begin to fear the gospel of Jesus Christ? When are they going to begin to get concerned because these Christians just love one another so much and won't shut up about this Jesus that they're infecting everything we do? That's what the early church did. That's what we need to be doing as well. Mm. Nicely done. All right, I think I'm going to take my early break, and then when we come back, we'll have time for a couple of more questions. 877-933-2484, a little extended version of Guy Talk. Uh, Jeff Redorn and Tom Parrish are doing the uh, question answering today, and they're doing an outstanding job. Send your questions over. Again, 877-933-2484. Hi there, and welcome. If you are a new listener, we want to officially welcome you with a free welcome packet gift. Request yours today at MyFaithRadio.com. It's the afternoon with Bill Shell. I want to thank the band. <laughs> Doing a fantastic job. I'm tapping my foot. I right, know. We're all kind of tapping right our feet here, here in the, the studio. In the studio. Amazing. All right. It is Guy Talker, guys who talk... Uh, Tom Paris, Jeff Verdorn are my guests. Great questions that have come in today. And I'm going to touch on a couple. Go back to the question where Jesus was talking to Peter and said, Peter, do you love me? And we look at the Greek and twice is the word agapeo and once is the word phileo, right? Mm-hmm. Question that was a follow-up to that question was, any thoughts on why Peter didn't respond with the agape love as we would expect? I think he was being honest in that third question. Uh, you can you can hear it in his voice. I think his his eyes were down. I think his his head was down before the Lord because he understood this is all I could muster. Lord, you know all things. You know that I phileo you. I think that's all he had, and I think he was being honest with the Lord. I think it's a wonderful transition in the Bible because up until this point. That kind of love didn't exist for people. They couldn't express it that way. They had basically three words they used. Jesus comes, and what he did on the cross showed us a whole new level of love. And this was a whole new understanding for the disciples. And I think they were mystified, overwhelmed, and I think they were struggling to get it. And I'm thankful for the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came because it's kind of like they woke up. And I I give them a lot of credit because even up until the day of Pentecost, what were they doing? They were still behind locked doors in most places. Mm -hmm. You know, it's only when the power of the Spirit came finally, and that was the real presence of Jesus 
from his resurrection. It was and, great. And as we said, after Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit, that Peter would absolutely say, Lord, yeah. I agapeo you with everything I have. Right. Remember, in that passage in John 21, Jesus also predicts how Peter is going to die. He says, there's going to come a time when you're going to stretch out your hands for me. And most commentators believe that's, an, and it and says in Scripture, that is a, a prediction of your death. And so tradition says that Peter was also crucified because of his faith. But tradition says that he was he said he was unworthy to be killed in the same way as his Lord, so was crucified upside down. Now, I don't know if that's historical or not or just a tradition, but it tells you where Peter's heart was at after he received the Holy Spirit. Exactly. All right. My next question is, are Christians sinners? Hmm. From an identity in God, who you are in Christ— the answer is no. If you're born again. Because you're born again. Scripture uses that term sinner to describe those who are lost, who are unsaved, who are separated from God. There's another word that is used for those who have been brought near to God, who have been reconciled to God, and that is the word saint. And that's the Greek hagios. It means holy. You've been set apart. You've been made a saint by God. It's actually a word that's used quite a bit in the New Testament. Paul uses it often to start his letters to the saints in Ephesus, to the saints in Colossae. And yet we as a church, I think because some of the baggage with that word from other religious traditions, we don't use that word very much to describe believers in Christ. But God says we are saints, not sinners, but of course we're saints that still have the capacity, unfortunately, to sin. But that's no longer our identity. Correct. Our identity is that we're saints in the Lord Jesus Christ by his shed blood. And you're right. I wish every Christian could come to grips with that because I think it would change the way we look at one another and the way we look at the world. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's good, St. Tom. Yeah, I know. Thank you, St. <laughs> Jeff. All right. So you, you hear a f- significant amount of pushback in circles, media circles, and, and when you when you use the word, my thoughts and prayers will be with you. Well, we need to do more than just your stupid thoughts and prayers. We got to get gun control or whatever it is, right? So when you hear that, and it, it's a trigger for a lot of people, like this is all you Christians do is your thoughts and prayers. Uh, when are you going to do something that's going to make a difference? And I'm not referring to gun control. I'm just using that as a little example. But when you when you hear that kind of pushback, what are your thoughts? The left really has kind of attacked that line that. Often Christians will say, my thoughts and prayers are with you, and uh, they'll say, you know, thoughts and prayers are not enough. You know, we need action. It, it's fascinating to me that that praying to the creator of all things, <laughs> the one who gave life and breath to everything that moves on this earth, is somehow uh, not enough. Um, it seems to me that that should be the first uh, place to go. Um, and for Christians, that's obvious, Right. Um, pray about everything. Don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. And then God's peace will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So as believers in Christ, it's natural for us to bring everything to the Lord in prayer, as the song says. To the world, it doesn't make sense. It's never made sense. Uh, Look, the Old Testament says, the fool says in their heart, there is no God. Um, So it's kind of expected from the world, I guess. Oh, and they do a good job, but the devil's caught onto that one real fast. They have. The bottom line, though, is I wonder what the Lord's telling us in the midst of this. 
Because how often are you in church and somebody's sick and somebody will say, well, I'll pray for you. And then there's no guarantee they're going to go home and pray at all, or they're going to follow up, or they're going to do anything to help that person. Yes, I am a strong believer in prayer. We just had a big prayer meeting at my church the other night. We meet for, you know, every other month now we're, we're fasting all day and all night, and then we're coming together for 90 minutes of prayer. The And I'm beginning to teach that, and it'll get longer. The point is there is power in prayer, but the power in the prayer is not only to give praise to the Lord, but to hear his voice. And usually in these situations, he gives direction, and we often don't follow through with that direction on what we should do, and we need to do both. You make a, a great point that, that some probably use that phrase, my thoughts and prayers are with you, as a platitude, and, and they don't actually follow up with prayer. So Christians, if you say you are going to pray for somebody, make sure it. you pray for them. I like that very much. Um, you're listening to Guy Talk, um, Jeff Verdorn and Tom Parrish are my guests. And the way we play this uh, is that you ask questions and we do our best to answer them. A great question came in, um, and it's a huge topic. And I think what we should do is try to identify a couple of participants to talk about Calvinism versus Arminianism. That's not a 10-minute discussion. That's a full hour, if not more, on trying to sort through that. Um, but that was a question that came in today, and I just wanted to recognize the question asker that I heard your question. Absolutely. Good question. You know, the, really quick, if we could say one thing about it, it's, I think we tend to say, okay, which one of these theological camps um, do we identify with? And here's a couple of isms, uh, camps, uh, that have been battling for 500 years, right? I, I think what we need to make sure we do is, what does the Word of God say and be good Bereans and not try to study a camp or this camp or that camp or whatever and identify with a camp, but study the Word of God and be a good Berean to search the Scriptures every day for yourself and you create your theology and your understanding and your belief as the Holy Spirit teaches you and leads you and guides you into all truth. Excellent. Thank you. Good um, stuff. Because I'm neither of those. I'm a, I, I, I call myself a biblicalist. A biblicalist? Yeah, I, like that. I just made that up. I don't. I like that. An I like actual that. I'm, word. I'm, 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 nobody, not Calvinist, not a Arminianist. I'm a biblicalist. Mm -hmm. And and most people can't believe I'm a Lutheran. So you know <laughs> we're in a good camp here. All right, gentlemen, explain this. Obey God and leave the consequences up to Him. Obey God and leave the consequences up to Him. You know, I'm 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 thinking of consequences is is kind of a, a there might be negative things that happen if you follow uh, Christ, and I, I'm thinking that passage that says anybody who wants to live a godly life will be persecuted in this world, and so I I think that that phrase that the in that question is describing kind of what that verse says that look the more you let your light shine in this dark world the more the world's going to try to you know put it out yeah. Yeah. And I think that's what the questioner's asking, don't well, you? what I would challenge anybody that says that, that's a, that's a phrase that goes back long ago. I mean, this has been around for a long time. We don't spend enough time talking about obeying God. <laughs> you know, and, yeah, the Lord's going to do what the Lord's going to do. That's what's going to happen. Our question is when I say obey God, what does that really mean? And oftentimes that means I go to my enemies and I actually talk to them. It means I help people. I don't want to help. It means I give money where I don't necessarily normally give money to help somebody out. 
And the problem is, how do we know when we're obeying the Lord? When we want to just then dump it off to him and let him take care of it, of course he's going to. But how is he going to use us in the midst of it? So my question is, what does it mean to obey Jesus in these tough situations? And that's where I'd love to have the discussion go. And so I would tell the person who asked that, I would say, give me one or two illustrations of where the Lord's told you to obey, but you have to leave the consequences in his hand. Most people can't come up with a story at that point because it's we love our phraseology. But the reality is, what is the real issue and how do we get involved like with an unwanted pregnancy or how do we get involved with a marriage that's falling apart or how do we get a you know deal with somebody that says you know i'm having feelings for the same sex you know how do we obey the lord in those and the bible has a lot to say about that and we need to be doing that all right jeff don't take this personally uh but we are in the bottom of the ninth and i'm i'm pulling in uh the pastor as the relief pitcher here okay okay to this next question all right this comment <laughs> i thought i was free from this one <laughs> I want I want you to pray. Yeah. Yes. Um, I was served with divorce papers um, after 43 years of marriage, and I need prayer for guidance and wisdom. Please pray for my husband to be saved. I think he might have a demon. Um, this man I'm dealing with is not my husband. My husband is kind and generous, and this man is mean and hateful, and my heart is broken. I love my husband, and I do not want a divorce. I need God's miracle. Let's pray for that right now. Lord, you know this woman who's asking this and praying for this. Lord, first of all, protect her. Cover her with your shed blood. Surround her with your angels so that she is protected emotionally, spiritually, and physically in the midst of this. And Lord, whatever is going on with her husband, if the demons have gotten in there, if he uh, has very bad thinking, if something else is going on, Lord, expose that. Not to hurt him, Lord, but to help him be healed. And give his wife wisdom beyond her years. And Lord, we pray that this marriage will be healed and brought back together and that people will see your hand in this. And this couple will ultimately become a testimony to the power of Jesus Christ and his healing power for even marriage. Mm -hmm. So, Lord, we put this in your hands. We put this couple in your hands. Let your will be done. Bring them back together. Amen. Mm -hmm. All right. We just have a minute left. Uh, Both of you, maybe 30 seconds on the power of generous giving because we just experienced it this week. I think it's so important. I teach people all the time uh, when we receive the offering on Sunday morning and they bring the offering plates forward. I don't pray the standard prayer and we sing the standard songs. I give thanks to Jesus. Amen. This is a gift and we're thankful to him. And I always teach people, give without any expectation of return because mm-hmm. you've been given, give to others. And uh, it's it's been a real blessing. God loves cheerful givers. And if you have received a spiritual blessing from Faith Radio, um, providing a reaping a material return back to them is something that you should consider. Mm-hmm. Amen. Thank you so much, Jeff Verdorn, Tom Parrish, for arousing uh, 90 Minutes of Guide Talk after uh, a very uh, exciting and long week of uh, fundraising. We just want to, again, thank you so much for your gifts and your generosity. Uh, in the next half hour, uh, I guess we're going to hear um, uh, an interview I've already had with Pastor Ray Comfort. It's so powerful. I wanted you to hear it again. So have a great night, and I'll see you tomorrow. Hi, this is Bill. I thought this interview was so good, I wanted you to hear it again. So enjoy. Enjoy. 
let's get it started. Jump in your car. Yeah. What's for dinner? It's My guest, Ray Comfort, answers questions that people are asking all the time. Like, does God hear my prayers? He's written over 100 books. He's the founder and CEO of Living Waters. And the book that I'm going to talk to him about today is called How to Make Sure God Hears Your Prayers. Ray, welcome. Thanks for having me on, Bill. Appreciate it. Oh, it's uh, my uh, my delight. So I love the title of this book, This How to Make Sure God Hears Your Prayers. I know you write a lot of books, and you've written, I think, close to 100 or more. What uh, What intrigued you about this book? Well, whether or not God answers prayer doesn't really matter unless you're hanging over a thousand-foot cliff by your teeth or you're upside down at 20,000 feet in severe turbulence, then it matters. And most non-Christians take it for granted that God hears everything, but they don't understand that the Scriptures make it clear there are certain conditions for God to regard our prayers. If you want to chat with King Charles, you don't show up in your pajamas. There's certain etiquette. And there are certain biblical etiquettes that we must take place, and we must not, um, we must acknowledge when we look at Scripture. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Bible says, the Lord will not hear. Our sins make a separation between us and our God, so He will not hear. Obviously, God is omniscient, so He hears and sees everything. But the Bible tells us He'll take no regard unless we uh, conform to what Scripture tells us to do. Ray, you say in your book that the uh, the image of a God who smiles at sin, whose patience is infinite and inexhaustible, only exists in the minds of those who lack the fear of the Lord. They choose to ignore the knowledge of God given to us in Holy Scripture. I would love for you uh, to talk about what it means to fear the Lord. Yeah, and the Bible says of Jesus, he was heard in that he feared. I think that... <laughs> is more than just a reverence. You talk to most non-Christians, and I've got a, an idolatrous understanding of God's character and nature. The image of God is one of that long-haired guy sitting on a cloud uh, with a pink nighty, reaching out and playing touch fingers with Adam. That's the image of God. It's nothing like the image that's revealed in Scripture. Listen to what Jesus said about God, and this, this is just so offensive to the world. He said this, Fear not him who has power to kill your body, and afterwards do no more, but fear him who has power to kill your body and cast your soul into hell. So the, the non-Christian must realize that if he lacks the fear of God, he'll give himself to sin, because the scriptures say, through the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. I, I'm originally from New Zealand. I've been living in the U.S. for, I think, nearly 40 or 30, 34 years. That's why I've almost lost my accent. And in New Zealand, <laughs> in New Zealand the police didn't have guns. They would have or batons, and if a criminal was naughty, they would hit him. And England did the same for many years, just batons with the police. They've now got guns, but when I came to the U.S., I had a, an advantage over open-air preachers. Uh, when I came here, when a police officer would walk up to me because he didn't like what I was doing, wanted me to move, I would say to myself, he's got a gun. That's all I could see. I couldn't see anything else but his gun. And I'd say to myself, this man could kill me legally if he feels threatened in some way, if I move too quickly or reach in my pocket to get a track to give him or something like that, I could die. So I've always been tremendously congenial with the police, very, very nice. And whatever they want, I do. I jump to it over a dozen times. I've been stopped from open air preaching by police. And always when they come up and say, I'd like you to stop, I immediately stop. And I say, what would you like me to do, officer? Move over there. And whatever they want, I do, because he's got a gun. It's more than a reverence I have for the police. It's a fear of what he can do to me. 
And that's what Jesus is saying about the fear of God. Fear not him who has power to kill your body and afterwards do no more, but fear him who has power to kill your body and cast your soul into hell. And so the non-Christian must realize if they don't fear God, they should fear him for what he, sh- what he can do to them. And let me tell you something a little personal, but it really brings out the power of the fear of God and what it can do for us. When I was 16, this was six years before I became a Christian, I found myself at the back of a dance hall at night in a long grass with a gorgeous 16-year-old female. And my, my intentions were not honorable. I was a non-Christian, no fear of God. But she put the fear of God in me with just six words. This is what she said. She said, you know what? God's watching us. <laughs> and it was like oh. a bucket of ice fell from the heavens, just <laughs> caused me to steam, stand up and say, well, let's go back inside. And I looked back. And the fear of God, even as a non-Christian, caused me to depart from evil, as the Bible says. I, I could have got her pregnant. I could have brought shame to her family, shame to my family, and maybe even instigated an abortion. I don't know. But I look back and I say, thank God for the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. And that's what needs to be intermingled in our prayers, a, a trembling, a reverence, an awe of God. But the non-Christian must have a little bit more and, uh, and, and realize what God will do if we're not obedient to the gospel. Ray Comfort is my guest. He's the founder and CEO of Living Waters, best-selling author of over 100 books. And we're chatting about his book today, How to Make Sure God Hears Your Prayers. Uh, Ray, I love that you talk about the fear of the Lord, you know, is, is a way of life. So how, how can we encourage us, how can you encourage us to, when we're facing temptation and sin, just the way you were with that 16-year-old girl? Yeah, to cultivate the fear of God. One way to do it would be to move to Texas so you can experience a thunderstorm and look at the lightning and let it scare the living daylights out because everything's <laughs> bigger in Texas. Or you could read Scripture with an open heart, searching for what the Scriptures say about God's character and nature. You could read about Uzzah, how he reached out and touched the Ark of the Covenant and God killed him because he wasn't supposed to do that. Or read how Ananias and Sapphira told one lie and God killed them. Uh, or he didn't like what a man did sexually in Genesis 38, so the Lord killed him. Or he consider what happened with Moses. He said, God, let me see your glory. And God says, you can't see me and live. He says, I'll tell you what I'll do. This is a comfort paraphrase. He says, I'll put you in the cleft of a rock, and I'll let my goodness pass you by. What does that mean? Would God's goodness kill Moses? Doesn't make sense. Until you think of a court of law where a judge has before him a criminal that's murdered, uh, an 11-year-old girl after he sexually molested her, strangled her to death. If that judge is a good judge, if he has goodness in his heart, he will be furious at that criminal, and he'll bring down his gavel in wrath. <clears throat> and the Bible says God is so good, he so believes in justice and righteousness, his wrath abides on us. And every time we sin, we store up his wrath. Like an LA freeway chase, you get the commentators say, Look at that, guys. Wrong side of the road. Oh, oh, he's just gone through a stop sign. He's making it worse for himself every time he transgresses the law. And that's what the unsaved person is doing. That's what sinners are doing every time they sin. Lust, hatred, anger, greed, pride, jealousy, all these things store up God's wrath. It's going to be revealed on the day of wrath when they stand before his absolute perfect goodness, which demands justice. That's a fearful thing. And when we cultivate that sort of biblical understanding... It naturally brings a fear of God into our heart so that when we're tempted to look at pornography and the pleasure it gives men or women, or when we're tempted to listen to gossip, we won't because the fear of God causes us to depart from evil.
Ray, uh, I've watched so many of your videos where you're going out and speaking to people, and I find your your giftedness just through the roof. I know a lot of it has come through practice, so uh, you didn't learn that overnight. But the Bible also says that that the Scripture is foolishness to those who are perishing. So a lot of people say a lot of foolish things, and when it comes to the consequences of sin, it seems pretty stupid to them. How do we do a better job of impressing upon them that there is a spiritual reality that they may be scoffing at? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, the Bible says the preaching of the cross is foolishness to them that perish. And there's a reason it's foolishness. It's because we haven't preceded it with what the Bible tells us to. The scriptures say the law, the moral law, the Ten Commandments, is a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. And so when we open up the Ten Commandments, as Jesus did, and show what sin is, then the gospel will make sense. But to give an analogy, a doctor looks at a patient, and the, and the patient believes he's completely healthy. He's fit, he's young, he's healthy. But the doctor knows, because he's seen x-rays, that this guy is going to be dead in two weeks. There is a cancerous poison disease that's seeping through his system. So what's the doctor going to do? He has a cure for the patient. Is he going to give him the cure? No, that would be foolish. He wouldn't give him a cure while he thinks he's healthy. The guy's going to say, what are you giving me this cure for? I don't need this cure. I'm healthy. Get it out of my face. I don't want it. It's going to be foolishness to him. He's going to reject it, not appreciate it or appropriate it. So if the doctor knows what he's doing and he's a good doctor, he'll pick up the x-rays, get the attention of the guy and say, look at this. This is a poison that's seeping through your system. He's going to try and make him fearful. He wants to see sweat come to his brow. He wants to see him tremble so that the patient will say, yikes, I can see this is deadly serious. What should I do? Then he brings out the cure. Then it will make sense. Then the patient will appreciate it and appropriate it. And what we have done with our modern evangelistic methods is held up the cure. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He took the punishment for our sins. People say, what are you talking about? Sin, I don't need your silly religion. Get it out of my face. Don't ram it down my throat. Why? Because we haven't convinced of the disease so they'll appreciate and appropriate the cure. When we do what Jesus did with a rich young ruler and open up those Ten Commandments and show the disease of sin, and we bring about fear and make them tremble as Felix trembled under the preaching of Paul or as David trembled on the preaching of Nathan, or as the Philippian jailer uh, was trembled when that earthquake came. We need to give them a personal earthquake so fear will do its duty and rise in their heart. They realize how serious sin is in the eyes of God. Then the cross will make sense that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us. So we need to go back to biblical methods and forsake our modern traditions. Ray, do you wake up in the morning early and are you this eloquent? <laughs> I mean, seriously, this is a stream of consciousness that's amazing. No, I'm not. I'm trying not to eloquent. embarrass you I'm just, just a little. Just, I've just done this before. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's so compelling. It, it, you know, when we want to lead people to be found, I think sometimes the harder work is leading them to understand that they're lost. Yeah, well, most people treat God as a divine butler, or we, as we do a, a sound man in our churches. You know, we can have the, the sound system working perfectly week after week after week, and suddenly there's a wail that comes through the microphone, and everybody turns around 
and glares at the sound man. Don't you know what you're doing? Are you crazy? Fix that thing. And that's right. how people treat God. You know, he gives us the blue sky, the sound of birds in the morning, the music and love and laughter and food and friends and family, and lavishes his kindness upon us. And as soon as something goes wrong, people try to lift their fist at the heavens and say, God, what do you think you're doing? You owe me. And that comes from idolatry. It's not an, a right understanding that God gave us everything we've got. We're unthankful, ungrateful, and we use his name as a cuss word that is so prevalent throughout society that using the name of Jesus to, to, as a cuss word, what person in history has ever had their name used as a cuss word other than Jesus? And he tells us right. why in John 7. He says, the world hates me because I testify of its deeds that they're evil. The world hates God for the same reason criminals hate the police, because they're criminals and the police stand for that which is right. And that's why people hate God without cause. They're unthankful, unholy, and use his name as a cuss word. We're enemies of God in our mind through wicked works, the Bible says. And we need to come to that rock of ages, which is clear for us to shelter us from God's goodness on the day of judgment. Mm-hmm. Ray Comfort is my guest. He is the founder and CEO of Living Waters. We're talking about his book, How to Make Sure God Hears Your Prayers. Ray, I got a two-part question, so I'll ask it in two parts. How's that? That sounds good. <laughs> yeah. So um, how, how does our response to sin reflect our fear of the Lord? I want to stay on this fear of the Lord topic because I think this is really important. Yeah, we, our conscience is very similar to a smoke detector. Sometimes smoke detectors can be really annoying. They'll go off for no reason. You cook something in your oven and it gets a little hot. Next thing, there's a wailing sound coming from up the hallway. The dog is wailing because he doesn't like the sound of it in the sensitive ears. And you're tempted to just go and pull those batteries out so you can cook without this thing <laughs> doing the thing. And that's what conscience is like. It wails at us when we do something wrong. Things get a little hot morally. And we want to take the batteries out. But that smoke detector is for our protection. It's for our good. And the conscience should be cultivated. The Apostle Paul said he strove to have a conscience void of offense towards God and man. He kept the batteries in. And so that sort of conscience that's uh, motivated by a fear of God and a knowledge that he holds us all responsible for every idle word. There's nothing hid from his eyes. All things lie open and exposed before the eyes of him. We have to give an account. That helps us walk in the fear of the Lord. And, and Bill, I, I am terrified of having a conscience that's not tender. I really want to walk in the fear of God because I know how wicked my heart is. I know how I'm tempted by pornography. Uh, all the time, like every red-blooded male, your eyes just go towards things that you know are wrong. And it's the mm -hmm. fear of the Lord that helps me to have um, feet like Joseph had when Potiphar showed up and his wife, his lusty wife, he had on his running shoes. And that's what we've got to have when it comes to sexual sin, looking at things we know are inappropriate. Just have those shoes ready and just keep them on and run. And that's, that's motivated by the fear of the Lord. And when we look at the life of Joseph, we see a man that was a, a type of Christ, uh, someone who walked in the fear of God, and, and we need to imitate him. And we can do that because we have the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, Ray, here's part two of my two-part question. How, how should we respond and, and connect with people that we love, who we uh, see falling into sin, and we don't want to be judgmental or or, hyper, or hypocritical, but we just want to we want to do the right thing. How do we do that? Well, we need to share the gospel with them. If someone calls themselves a Christian and they're given to sin, there's something radically wrong. The Bible says, examine yourself and see if you're in the faith. And if you're serving sin, you might not be in the faith at all. 
And so I use two things that I uh, that I uh, use or two. How can I put it? I salt the oats. You know, it's been said you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. That's just not true. That's a complete lie. You can salt the oats, so he'll want to drink. And there are certain ways to salt the oats of human beings and cause them to want what we have in Christ. And one way is to appeal to the will of will to live. Every human being is made in the image of God. We're not dogs, cats, horses, or cows. We have something in us that says, I don't want to die. In fact, the Bible says in Hebrews 2, verse 14 and 15, we are haunted by the fear of death all our lifetime. So when I meet a non-Christian, I'll say something like this to him. Say, uh, hey, Don, so I've got a question for you. Do you think there's an afterlife? He says, I don't know. Do you think about it much? He says, all the time. So you're afraid of dying? He says, yeah. I say, have you ever read the Bible? He says, no, no, I haven't. So you know the Old Testament God promised he would destroy death, and the New Testament tells us how he did it. And suddenly his eyes light up, because no one said that to, to him before. The Old Testament God promised to destroy death. New Testament tells how he did it. So I say, I'm going to share the gospel with you, and I have to proceed it with the Ten Commandments to show you need God's mercy. Is that okay? And I say, sure. So I appeal to the will to live. You think of how a waitress approaches businessmen in a restaurant. She looks and three businessmen have walked in wearing three-piece suits, holding little black cases. They're obviously sitting at the table, wheeling and dealing millions of dollars. Is she intimidated? Not at all. She just walks up, boldly says, can I take your order? She butts in. They're half sentence. They're important men. Why she do that? It's because she knows she has what they want, food. That's why they're there. And we have what this world wants. They just don't understand that. They think we're religious when we've found everlasting life in Christ. Most of them at some gym torturing themselves or drinking some liquid or eating some food they hate to try and extend their lives. And we have everlasting life in Christ. If only they knew. And so this is what Jesus did with a woman at the well in John chapter 4. He said, if you knew the gift of God, he who is speaking to you and ask him, he'd give you living water. So that is one of my confidences, how to salt the oats, appeal to the sinner's will to hmm. live. He will listen. If he knows what we've got, we can get through to him. And the other thing is to appeal to his conscience. So with conscience means with knowledge. God has given light to every man. Whether someone's an atheist or agnostic or religious person, they have a conscience. They have a knowledge of right and wrong, and you can appeal to it by going through the Ten Commandments. It awakens the conscience. It gets mm -hmm. the uh, smoke detector doing its duty. Yeah. Ray, let me take a little break. Ray Comfort is my guest. He's the founder and CEO of Living Waters and has uh, written over 100 books. The one we're chatting about today is how to make sure God hears your prayers. If you've been to his YouTube channel, uh, he has over, well, my math book never never taught me that number, so I don't even know how to pronounce it. Let's just say 230 million views. That's a lot. We'll be right back. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. Hi, this is Bill. I thought this interview was so good, I wanted you to hear it again. So enjoy.
So much to talk to Ray Comfort about, so little time. He is the founder and CEO of Living Waters and best-selling author. His book that we're chatting about today is How to Make Sure God Hears Your Prayers. In his book, he says the reason people's hearts fail them is that they don't believe anyone is in control. If they could take control, they wouldn't be fearful, but those who fear God know that he is always in control. He's never taken by surprise or thrown into confusion. The same God who will fulfill his promise to judge the world will fulfill his promise to bless those who fear the Lord. The choice is ours. We can disobey and let sin rule in our lives, or we can trust God in obedience and come to him in prayer. Nice words, Ray. Oh, thank you. Can I share something that we're doing that's super exciting? I hope you do. Yeah. Well, about six months ago, I began thinking about what's going to happen on May the 6th of this year when King Charles uh, becomes uh, crowned or the coronation takes place. And I realized that he's going to be given an orb or holding an orb, which is a globe with a cross on the top, which is a picture of the reign of Jesus Christ of the whole earth. He's going to have two swords. One's a blunt sword, a sword of mercy, speaking of the gospel, another sharp sword, sword of justice. Um, he's going to lay his hand on the Bible and promise before God to uphold the biblical truth of salvation by grace through faith without works. And all this is going to be done in front of an audience of hundreds of millions around the world. And I thought, man, I'd like to produce a gospel tract, not endorsing King Charles, but doing what Paul did in Acts 17 when he quoted Greek poets. What is he quoting Greek poets for? He was using them as a bridge to reach his hearers. And that's what I was wanting to do with this coronation. So I thought it'd be great to get a track printed with the gospel on the back, with Charles on the front, a million-dollar bill, or like a 50 million pound, whatever. And I, I made a video and sent it to my team for their thoughts. And I received an email from a gentleman. He said, what are you working on? So I told him. I sent him the video, and he sent back $200,000 uh, to the ministry. I showed someone else the video. They sent 100000 Someone else, I showed them the video, and they sent 50000 So we're able to make this track available free of charge, and we pay the shipping. Uh, it's very exciting because the media understand, Christians don't understand because we've got our Jesus, he's our king, we're not bowing to any earthly king, but the world is infatuated with royalty. So hundreds of millions of non-Christians are going to go to church for two hours on May the 6th and hear uh, symbolic uh, symbolism of the gospel. So this is a wonderful opportunity. So if anyone wants to go to livingwaters.com forward slash London, we will send large quantities, a thousand at a time, of these uh, very, very um, beautifully produced gospel tracts, uh, free of charge, and we'll pay the shipping anywhere in Europe, anywhere in England, anywhere in Australia or in New Zealand, or anywhere in the U.S. That's livingwaters.com forward slash London. Well, what a beautiful uh, gift that is, Ray. Thank you so much for that. All right, yeah, we're we only have excited about him. Yeah, we only have a couple, a couple of minutes left. So, um, what do you say to those who pray, but they just don't feel God hears or answers their prayers? I know there's many listening right now that feel that, that they're in. That's the camp they're in. And you can, yeah, it's very, very common. You, you think, you know, I've got suffering in my family. Someone's suffering a terrible disease. Why doesn't God do something? We don't know why they're suffering. We know why they're. We don't know why God doesn't answer our prayers when someone's suffering, but we do know why uh, there is suffering because we live in a fallen creation. But think what happened to Mary and Martha. They sent a message to Jesus saying, your friend whom you love, Lazarus, is sick. In other words, 
he'll obviously be here like grease lightning because you love him and he's your friend. But Jesus stayed where he was for two days because he had greater intentions. He wanted to do something far more marvelous than healing someone. He wanted to raise them from the dead. So often God's ways aren't our ways. We say, Lord, please do this. This needs to happen. But God sees into the future and his wisdom is infinitely greater than ours. And I love what Charles Spurgeon said when it comes to prayer. He said, faith may swim where reason may only paddle. So as Christians, when God doesn't zoom in and answer our prayers in the way he thinks we will, we just say, I trust him. I trust him with all my heart. I lean not to my own understanding, but I trust him because he keeps every promise he makes. And he promises to work all things to good, together for good, to those that love him and are called according to his purposes. Mm-hmm. Ray, do you have a fear of the Lord verse that you, you keep handy all the time? Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, Proverbs 19.23, uh, through the fear of the Lord, oh, he that has the fear of the Lord will abide satisfied. He will not be visited with evil. It's a wonderful verse, and there's a whole stack of verse, especially in Proverbs, that tell us that God's blessing and his ears are open to those that fear him. So we need to cultivate the fear of God if we want God to hear our prayers. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Ray, for taking time to uh, be on the show today. It's uh, always, always a delight to talk to you. Great to talk to you, Bill. Thank you. You bet. Ray Comfort's been my guest. You can learn more about uh, Ray at his Living Waters website. That's all the time we have. Have a great night, everyone. See you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.